Podcast One. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. And in this podcast, we will cover the global and local developments you need to know this week. This week is a fascinating one. With me today, we have, as always, John Bradshaw from Brand Traction, a former marketer with Diageo, Mars, Lion and Virgin. Cameron King, the former IAB chairman and head of digital at News Corp and Sebastian Graham, who's Head of Media Performance at Verizon. Today is a deep dive into the cookie apocalypse. Now, if you don't know, uh, the online advertising sector in Australia is about to approach $9 billion, and underpinning the online ad sector is these things called cookies, which are under enormous threat for how marketers target and measure what happens with their money online. So, Cameron, to you first, does it matter Is it important to anyone other than ourselves at the table? I think we all agree that it's important, Paul. But um, I think this issue of cookies has been going on for for a little while now and the the question and the effectiveness of of cookies in in various environments has been, you know, being questioned. And I think the big change that's taken place is uh, Google has announced some changes in Chrome, which which are in train now between May and July, which will limit third-party cookies specifically. And we're going to explain what a cookie is, which yeah. is a piece of code that's dropped into a web browser that allows certain parties to follow that user around the open web. That's right. And there's two contexts for that. One is one is a same-domain cookie or a first-party cookie, and that means that a website can apply its own cookie and that is protected. So users will not have uh, changes applied to that. The The issue at hand is third-party cookies. Third-party cookies uh, come from a different domain. And third-party cookies are, by and large, uh, drivers of the digital advertising economy as it relates to the free web at at the moment. So measurement, ad targeting are two principal applications which will be impacted by any changes to how consumers engage with consent. And consent you mean by what? A consumer giving permission for third-party trackers to be applied and to be used in the way that they have, or in fact, actively withdrawing that permission. So the browser controls will allow for a user uh, by default to restrict the use of those third-party cookies. Right. And I want to contextualize this by the fact that when you talk about this being important, the IAB and PwC came out today with the new numbers in Australia. We're heading to a $9 billion digital advertising system in Australia by the end of the year. So this is why, partly why it's significant. There's a lot of money that is going into the online advertising sector and historically it's been underpinned by these pieces of code called cookies. That's why it's important. So the reason why they're important is because they underpin services for ad-free websites in this market. The changes outlined kind of relate back to how consumers give consent. And that's, that's something which has taken place with um, previous browsers. So Firefox and other sites, Safari and Apple obviously had intelligent tracking prevention uh, over the course of the last 12 months be, be announced as well. So in that environment, you've got Chrome now making changes to how consumers use or allow others to use their data, which is a good thing. The, the issue is that it's going to impact a lot of how web-based advertising takes place, uh, how ads are targeted and how ads are measured. And the marketing community, I don't think, necessarily understands how much impact 
uh, is going to be created by this issue. Sebastian, would you your view on, on awareness of, of what this is and how, how big of an impact it might be? So I think there's two different categories of advertisers. The first is your more direct response style advertiser. And they're going to be somebody who relies on Google Ads Manager or Seismic for measurement, and they're going to implement tags and pixel-based solutions within VersaTag and Floodlight Tags. If your media buying team is talking to you about these, you probably need to pay a lot more attention to this, and particularly if your media buying team is in-house, where you're going to be responsible for solving the issues. These advertisers are going to be really heavily impacted by the removal of cookies within some proportion of Chrome, because I don't think all of them are go all of the cookies are going to be removed. However, I think we've got a history of cookie removal, and it starts off with uh, mobile apps and mobile activity, because cookies don't exist within a mobile app advertising world. When iPhone released uh, their version update, I think it was version 10, uh, they enabled the ability for people to remove cookies, which is essentially the same thing that Google's done with Chrome. And only a very small proportion of people really used it. So I think there's the impact is not immaterial, but it's not everything either. And I think it's going to be more directed to direct response style advertisers. However, everybody needs to pay attention to it if you're using cookies for measurement. And Cameron, you, you do think, though, that there is some big warning bells need to be rung here. Again, why should this be on a marketer's radar. Yeah, again, if you take a long view of this, there are some strategic issues which, which arise out of this. How do local or Australian or non-independent you know independent media operators, how do they position themselves around this when their advertising inventory now becomes less valuable? Is that about them going out and sourcing consumer data actively so that they can use that in some sort of addressability strategy? Do they just hitch their wagon to Google or Facebook or the other big techs who can effectively operate outside of a cookie environment, I think is, is the other big implication here. There are other issues that you can kind of draw from that. How do media owners compete in an environment where large parts of their inventory is no longer valuable? John Bradshaw from uh, outside listening to these these characters talk about some deeply technical stuff. W- what do you make of this as, from, a, from a marketer prism? Clearly significant change in our future. I think if you add to this with the levels of control we're starting to see come through GDPR, there's definitely going to be less of this new uh, targeting technology available to us as marketers. And over the last five years, it's become a, it's become a big thing. I think there are maybe four things that mitigate some of the downsides a bit. And let's be clear about this. That doesn't mean the downsides don't exist. I just think they help us feel a little bit less cataclysmic about things. One is we were chatting earlier about all of the stuff that's come out of the UK and the IPA and Lesbine and Peter Field, suggesting that we should be spending only about 40% of the budget on this type of performance activation type marketing. New stuff out from Les and Peter last week about B2B saying that it's a similar kind of balance between long-term and short-term, even in B2B. Uh, and yet that's not what's getting executed because it's because of the measurability of digital and marketers like to be able to measure things. And we are talking here about long-term brand building versus short-term performance. Yes, that's right. So we, we're doing a lot more short-term performance work because it's much more measurable and therefore it looks more accountable, but that's to the detriment of effectiveness. Right. So first thing is, we haven't got the balance right. If this helped us shift the balance back to a more even mix of long and short term, that'd be good. 
Second thing is it's clear consumers aren't that bothered about it. Uh, the YouGov poll said only 34% of people agreed that it was they could see or feel any kind of benefit. So it's like um, consumers aren't enamored with this as a technology. Uh, and particularly when they start to feel like it's kind of, it's weird how they have a behavioral human interaction with the technology. When the technology feels creepy, they don't like it. When the technology talks behind their back about them, they don't like it. The other stuff is, whilst targeting and personalization does drive up effectiveness, um, actually, again, weirdly, because of that talking behind the back syndrome, the cookie-driven um, ad following you around the internet, the effectiveness of personalization in that environment declines pretty rapidly as we get away from the contextual side. So in some ways, a shift back to contextual might drive up effectiveness, maybe help pay for some of the costs. Uh, and the final thing I think that mitigates it for marketers is we're starting to learn a lot about the actual efficiency of these mechanisms and whether a cost per thousand is really a cost per thousand and how much is wasted and how much is bot fraud and how much is in the kind of long tail of sites that don't really be, want to be on anyway. It does get us to this conversation around whether there's a move, uh, whether we'll, we will see a move back to some more contextual-based targeting versus behavioural. Now, maybe get a UCAM first, explain behavioural versus contextual and whether what John's talking about Will, whether some of the speculation will happen about advertisers needing to get back into environments rather than chasing audiences across the open web. Mm. So behavioural advertising really relates to user attributes and this these changes in cookies detect or help you track behaviour across domains uh, or across websites. And that's at the very heart of the issue here. It's at the very heart of the privacy intent behind GDPR. It's at the very heart of some of the consumer objectives, uh, objections that happen when things get creepy. Um, and contextual advertising is really around using the, the pager environmental attributes to determine uh, whether an ad should be placed. And that might be content, it might be site or section, um, it might be genre or, or, or other attributes. Sebastian, contextual versus uh, behavioural, your sense on that? Well, contextual is obviously really important. Behavioural isn't dead, not by any stretch. Uh, there are, as long as you've got some combination of culture and code together, the technology that underpins the advertising and a direct connection with millions and millions of customers, Australians and New Zealanders. Which Google and Facebook have. Media owners have less of it, though, and therefore marketers have less access to that. Yeah, Verizon has between 10 and 14 million uh, Australians coming to their sites every, each and every month. And we're making a shift towards what we're calling membership, which is to have people who come 20 times within a 30-day period, so really strong, rich relationships. We've got all the technology that underpins that, so we can still deliver really strong behavioural advertising as well as being a contextual place where audiences live. For anybody who doesn't have that combination of both culture and code, this is a really uh, difficult time and a really difficult change to go through. I also want to touch on what John was saying about measurement uh, earlier and the big changes that need to come through. One of the pieces that could happen and should happen and what probably what will help to create the best version of the future is if measurement shifts away from being just digital outcomes, one impression serving one ad to one cookie and then measuring that outcome in a digital-only world and starts being about the business, the overarching business change that needs to happen and driving that through with effectiveness. That's going to be what defines who's successful and who's not in a cookie-less world. 
Cameron, though, you, you said earlier that not a lot of media owners yet have lots of authenticated identity or sign-ins, and this is a this is a challenge to what's coming as cookies fade out because you need that to compete. Yeah, I mean, for for it's been happening for a long time. Let's let's view the you know the medium-term history of this. The cookies value is diminishing right over the long term. The rise of mobile advertising, where it's more or less not present. Uh, catch-up TV and connected devices are non-cookie environments where they don't exist and they're becoming more important in terms of total ad spend. So the cookie's value is diminishing. Media owners need to deal with this issue, especially those media owners who are heavily reliant on web advertising. The response to this needs to be, you know, either their own source of declared identity, which transcends the cookie, that's because instead of placing a piece of code on a user's browser, you have, you know, as Sebastian said, a relationship with that consumer and they allow you to track them. Now, the degree to which any individual media owner could do that with other media owners is still in question, I think, in order for them to assemble a, a, you know, something that resembles the dominance of either a Facebook or, or Google addressability uh, solution or identity solution or Amazon if, if we, we don't want to pick favorites. So the the challenge for them is how do I build a scaled identity solution that enables us to, you know, meaningfully compete in an environment where cookies are no longer, you know, viable. Uh, and I don't, I don't see a, um, a strong response from Australian mediators in that respect. I think each of the free-to-air broadcasters have, have had very strong positions around their declared identity solutions, which has been, you know, really strong, really good. Uh, the non-broadcast world is, 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 in my opinion, left a little bit lacking. So, Sebastian, the the bigger picture here is around uh, uh, marketing surveillance and the and the and the need for people to to give over their information. Is that are you seeing that appetite uh, broadly? People are happy to do that. If you've got a good relationship with people and you have a good value exchange, yeah, absolutely, they will. And I'll and the the broadcasters, 7, 9, and 10, with their catch-up TV solutions, that is a good value exchange uh, for audiences. As in, in Verizon's world is mail and all of the logged-in user bases we build, that's a really good value exchange. I don't think there is a need, for, though. I think most people to read most sites, they're not going to want to log in. And you'll see that when uh, somebody brings up that pop-up or that light box onto the front of a screen when you're trying to read content on a website, and particularly some of the UK and US websites are doing this really aggressively. And the first instinct that I have, at least, is to leave the site. The content isn't worthwhile, uh, isn't worth me actually paying attention to that. So I don't think there's a need there. And I think marketers need to really understand that if they're relying on cookies, they're not going to get the outcomes that they expect. They're not going to get the effectiveness that they expect because their addressable pool and their audience pool and their measurable pool and their impact pool is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And it's been happening for a long time, ever since uh, mobile phones and apps were released. Then you see all the user behaviors that are changing for incognito browsing. You've got privacy regulations. We've talked about GDPR as well, but the Californian GDPR, the Brazilian GDPR are both set to launch in 2020. And it would be foolish to expect that every developed economy won't have a GDPR by 2025. So this is a long-term shift. It's not something that's not going to continue. And as a marketer, you need to recognize that what the way you've done things 
isn't necessarily going to be the way you should do things in the future. And particularly measurement is the first and most impactful change. Cameron, finally, the impact on agencies because trading desks, agency trading desks are loaded with um, you know inventory that is cookie-based. What do you see happening there? I think um, certainly agency trading desks and others who are very heavily reliant on stitching together media solutions will, will be under pressure as a result of this. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what new models present themselves outside. I mean, there are, there are obviously, uh, each, each of the holding groups have, have put forward people based at identity solutions, uh, all three or four, four, four or four of them have, have all put forward those solutions, how well the Australian media owner community is responding to those and integrating into them is still yet to be seen, I think. So the, the strategy and the thinking is there for each of them. Um, but whether or not, you know, media owners are really responding to working in with those uh, uh, holding groups to uh, help them build out uh, the next iteration of what those trading models look like, I, I think is, is still yet to be seen. John, just picking up also on your personalization thread, because there's so much talk about that in the market amongst marketers and agencies about the push, the grand push for, to personalization. Just drill down a little bit on that for us, would you? I think there's good personalization and bad in terms of ad effectiveness. If I'm actively looking for something and the technology is actively helping me find it, um, then that is driving up effectiveness. Where the ad is following me around into places where I'm actually trying to watch cat videos or enjoy everything else that the internet has to offer rather than just helping me shop, the effectiveness of personalization decreases like significantly, almost to the point where you may as well serve them any ad in that environment rather than a personalized ad. So it's clear there's a lot of change coming in the media part of this job. But I like the fact that it's going to force two passive bargains into being active bargains. It's going to force the passive bargain we have consumers have with technology that says, I'll give you some of my data for all of this cool free shit. I don't really know what I've given you, but I really like the cool free shit. That's going to have to become a much more active com conversation, and I like that. But more relevant, the passive bargain that marketers have with the programmatic black box that says, I'll give you my money, give me some effectiveness. I don't really understand or care what happens in the black box. Um, the marketer is going to have to have a much more active engagement in that bargain as well about what do they want the box to do and how do they want the box to work. And to the point over here, how are we going to measure that when measurement gets harder? And actually, for all of the, some of the traumatic change this is going to cause, especially if it puts prices up, I like the fact that both of those bargains start to become much more active. In wrap-up from all of you, marketers and agency people listening to this podcast now thinking about what they need to do. Cameron, start with you. What should what should be top of their list? I think for a long time, the marketing community has put digital media and marketing at arm's length. And I think this is a another reason why CMO practice needs to become much closer to what technically and what from an operational point of view, not what from an implementation point of view is happening with how their money's being spent. They need to get much closer. They need to understand these changes and what impact it's going to have on their media owner relationships, their media partnerships, 
and how their business results are delivered. And they, if they don't? I, th I think they'll end up spending a lot of money with one or two global operators in 10 years' time and wonder what happened. Sebastian? I think uh, in a $9 billion industry, this is something that is very close to the work and to the effectiveness of a whole bunch of marketers and a whole bunch of advertisers and a whole bunch of media companies and media agencies. The number one thing that needs to happen in the short term is to understand measurement and to move measurement out of digital cookie-based measurement. That won't work anymore. Pull it back to what's really happening in the business. And the CMO has this and you know this, but share it to your media agencies, share it to your media partners and help them to understand and drive your business outcomes. I really agree with Sebastian. The marketers got to get much more actively engaged in media strategy, much more comfortable paying for experts to give them advice and become much more expert themselves. And I think the problem that exists because of the complexity that's been put into the media landscape in the last five to ten years, marketers have kind of shied away from that. Uh, and it's clear that that's going to have to change and that the marketing community and the CMO practice is going to have to get its hands dirty. I'm, I'm excited about that in some ways because it's a big, it's not, a, there's not the be all and end all of the job, but it's a big bit of the job and it's certainly the biggest bit of the budget. So we need to get in the weeds a bit, folks. Right. And speaking of my two bobs worth is exactly that. Uh, Mark Pritchard, global uh, head of brand at Procter & Gamble, said two years ago that marketers needed to get into the weeds more in the digital supply chain. This is part of it. It's not sexy, although, you know, these guys are very smart, so let's give them that. And sexy. And sexy. Well, that's your Thank call. Thank you, John. <laughs> so get in the weeds, like Mark Pritchard said, because this is the sort of stuff that needs to – we need to unravel the black box. Um, so we'll talk to you next week. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button to get a free notification every time we release a new episode.